Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. My uh, dad was in ministry. He was a missionary church planter out there in Salt Lake, and uh, that's what I grew up with uh, him doing. And part of his ministry was he traveled a lot. A lot of churches wanted him to come and just kind of teach them about the dangers of Mormonism. And uh, so my dad traveled a whole bunch when I was a kid. And uh, when I was 13... I'm the youngest of six kids and six years younger than the next ones up. Uh, My twin brothers, they had gone off to college, and uh, my parents decided they were going to go on this long trip, speaking at different churches and all that stuff, and uh, they decided to leave me at home, you know, because of school and things like that, and then somehow, uh, after about eight or nine days, I was then going to fly to where they were which was really cool because that was going to be my first time on an airplane. And then I'd spend the rest of the trip with them and get back, maybe fall break or spring break. Somehow they figured it out. But long story short, I was going to go stay with this family in the church. And, you know, I mean, their son was probably my closest friend within the church, even though, you know, we lived a long way apart. We never saw each other other than when we were at church. But uh, that was where I was going to go. Now, Great family, wonderful family. They were firing on all the right cylinders. Great marriage, loved the Lord, people of the word, church-centered. I mean, they were awesome. But let me just tell you, it was the weirdest experience I had ever had. I mean, just, I mean, their family culture was well, let's just say it was not the Hornock family culture. I'm the youngest of six. By the time I came along, I think my parents were, had retired from parenting, even though they still had me. You know, uh, I, I, I never remember. I mean, I, I'm sure she did it for the other kids, but uh, I never remember my mom being up on a school day before I got breakfast and that, and if if I wanted breakfast, you know, there's the bowl, there's the the milk, there's the cereal, and, you know, my dad was up because, you know, he grew up on a farm, he was up before the chickens and and all that stuff, but, you know, I would get my bowl of cereal, and if I wanted two bowls of cereal, I'd have two bowls or three or whatever, you know, and and it was just me, and somewhere along the line, mom, you know, was, was tired and she'd just stumble out and fortunately dad had made the coffee she'd go sit in the recliner and then I'd get out the door and head off to school I didn't have to ride a bus it was just you know I don't know four five six blocks away and I'd walk there and and that was my growing up you know and it was wonderful I mean I'm not my mom was a saint I mean she's right there with the virgin mary let me just tell you but that was how early mornings was. That first day at those people's house, I couldn't believe it. We got out of bed. I was sleeping with my friend in his room. He had two beds in his room. And, and he got dressed for school. And I'm like, I guess we get dressed for school. So we got dressed for school. And then we went upstairs because in Utah, everybody's got a basement. 
We went upstairs, and I promise you, the table was set. Fork, knife, spoon, placemat, two glasses, one full of milk, one full of juice. And, I mean, it looked like we were brunching at one of Salt Lake's nicer restaurants. Mom... She, she, she was a, basically a stay-at-home mom. She actually was a nurse, but she always did her nursing on the weekends. So Monday through Friday, she was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, she looked like June Cleaver. I mean, she was, she was in this very nice pressed dress. Uh, the father, he was an engineer, and, and I mean, he was already in his suit, but he didn't have his coat on, but his tie was tied. His shirt was long sleeve, pressed, perfect. And we came up, and I'm like, I guess I ain't pouring my own cereal today. And, and we sat down, and, and, and we, we prayed as a family, and we ate. And, and I didn't realize it, but, you know, that glass of milk, it was so that we could pour it on our cereal. And I'm like, well, I usually have milk on my cereal, and I have a glass of milk. And if I want another glass of milk, I get that glass of milk. I mean... And, and the first several days I was there, I was like, I wish I could have a second glass of milk because I, you know, I'm a big drinker, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that was it. And then, and then, and my family, we did family devotions, but we did family devotions when everyone was awake. And uh, after we had breakfast, we had family devotions. And I'm like, I'm still trying to wake up and, and that, but we read the Bible and the dad asked questions and, you know, and, 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 you know, it was just totally different culture. I mean, it was just a totally different feel. Bad? No. Great. I mean, they had three sons. One became a pastor. The other became a missionary. The other became an engineer. I mean, they were great people, church-centered, people of the word, wonderful marriage, very committed, but totally different. Now, where am I going with all this? You've done it. I've done it. In fact, Vicki and I did it last week. We've gone to churches, and that church is like just spot on with fellowship. Same theology. Maybe the guy that's doing the preaching even went to the same school, but it felt so different. Last week, we were you know, we drove Jonathan's car up to uh, D.C., and so we stayed for the weekend and went to church at the church that Julia and Josiah go. Julia's our daughter, and uh, then now our son, Jonathan, and his family have moved there, and they live about 20 minutes apart, for those of you that don't know the story here. And so we, we went to the church that Julia and Josiah have been going to for the last two years. And Jonathan and Mariah have been visiting there, and they're trying to figure out, is this going to be our church, or are we going to go find another church. And I mean, I can guarantee you, if you took all of their important papers, their doctrinal statement, their statement of faith, how they do their programming, you know, all those things, it would line up perfectly with fellowship. But it felt so different. Bad? No, not at all. But it was different. Here's the question. What kind of feel do we want to have? Because here's the deal. We, there, there is a feel to fellowship. Those of you that have only been coming for two, three months, you know what I'm talking about. Those of us like me that have been around for a billion years, we don't know. I mean, who, who, 
Who do you want to know what water is like from? The fish that's never been out of it or someone that jumped in the swimming pool for the first time? The person that jumped in the swimming pool for the first time could tell you what water is like. The person that's been there the whole time really can't. Now, are we talking Calvinist versus Arminian, pre-mill versus post-mill? Are we talking believe the Bible's the Word of God or, boy, that's just a bunch of fairy tales? No. We're, talk- we're not talking theology. We're not talking strategy. We're just talking basic feel. We're talking church culture. And you know what I want to do for the next uh, six weeks today and five more Sundays? I want us to talk about our church culture. Now, some of you that are really astute, you might say, is that really worth it? And you know what? My answer is, yeah, I think it is. I really think it is good for us to think about our feel. Think about, or just to use the, a, a more current term, what vibe do we give off? Is it really the vibe we want to give off? Or is it just the vibe we give off? I mean, do we, you know, do we, we we've kind of in, unintentionally evolved. And, you know, all of a sudden we might be a certain way But we're oblivious to it, those of us that have been around for a while. I mean, you've been here for six months, a year. You may not even realize it. Those of us that have been around forever, it's like, that's just who we are. You know, imagine, you know, we could could make any kind of analogy here. But imagine a couple that maybe just got married six months, a year into their marriage. They said, Wait a minute. What, what do we really want to be like when we're celebrating our 30th anniversary? When our kids have, are now in their 20s, the kids we're going to have, when they're in their 20s, and we've been married 30 years, 35 years, and someone asked them, what was your home like? What was it like for the pastor's kid to go live at your house for 10 days before he got to fly off and go join his parents on that trip. What was it like? And we're not talking, you know, Bible-centered, church-centered, things like that. Just what was the feel? Let's figure out, honey, what what do we want? Do, Do we want to be chaos or comfort? Organized or disorganized, people that plan way ahead or people that do everything spur of the moment. What feel do we want our kids to have when they're 25 years old and they're reflecting back on their home life? Because you know what? Everyone's got a feel. And, and, and so I honestly think that we would do well to intentionally determine what that feel is. So we're not asking, what is fellowship like? Sometimes I'd hate to know. What do we want to be like? And who do we really want to be? That's what we're going to talk about. Now, the first one, it's right there on the front of the bulletin. And if you've 
picked up the bulletin or you looked at the front of the bulletin, you look at the back of the bulletin where it's got the sermon notes, you already know what the issue is. First and foremost, we want to be Jesus-exalting people. We want to be people that are Jesus-centered. We want to be people that are Jesus-promoting. We want to be people that are Jesus-focused, Jesus-exalting. But here's the reality. We're not going to talk about fellowship because that might be a little too painful. We've all been to churches, and they're not Jesus-focused. They're not Jesus-centered. They're not Jesus-exalting. The church I went to last week, which is my one exposure, to be honest, I don't know whether they're Jesus-exalting, but after six months, I will know. I would know if I was attending there. Are they? I mean, there isn't a church, there isn't an evangelical church in the United States of America that wouldn't say, duh, Jesus exalting, let's go to lunch. But you've been to churches, and I've been to churches, and I hate to admit it, there's times this church has not been Jesus exalting. You go there for, ten, for six months, a year. Let, let, you know, let, me, let me just put it this way. You know, this summer, we, we, we've had a lot of families move away. Jobs just are taking them away from uh, Texarkana, and so they're going someplace else. Imagine three years from now, someone says, hey, you used to live in Texarkana. Yeah, I used to live in Texarkana. Really, what church did you go to? I went to Fellowship Bible Church. Really? Okay, I know. I know. Okay, the guy's a Dallas Seminary guy, so okay, he's this, 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 this. They probably have this kind of ministry. They got, oh, they got a wanna. Okay, that tells me a whole bunch about the church, too, right there. So they know what it's like. But you know what? There's 15 churches in town that are just like us. And so that person says, hey, tell me what it's like. What, what is that church really like? Because I'd kind of like to save you know, three months of visiting those 15 churches so that I could just find the one that had the right feel. Give me six things to describe Fellowship Bible Church. Would those people that just moved away, would Jesus exalting have been one of them? We want it to be, but would it be? Would it be? That's what I want to talk about. Here's what I want you to do. Take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. This is kind of the, the, perhaps the most important passage in all of the Gospels, to be honest. It, it, it occurs, the situation that is described here occurs about six months before Jesus was crucified. He is way up in Caesarea Philippi, which is about as far as you can get from Jerusalem and still be in the land of Israel. 
And so Jesus and his disciples, I think just intentionally Jesus, led them up to Caesarea Philippi. It's kind of like, you know, going off into this remote area. It's a camping area, lots of trees, rolling hills. It's the headwaters of the Jordan River that ultimately spills into the Sea of Galilee and then out of the Sea of Galilee goes down and ultimately ends up in the Dead Sea. So it's way up there where all the water starts to come and so it's where the Jordan River starts to form probably a beautiful place, never had the opportunity to be there, but that's where they are. And so, you know, not a lot of Roman inference and, and, uh, and, you know, people looking over their shoulder, looking over your shoulder at you, a place where you could talk, a place where you could gather around a campfire and just have a good old fashioned discussion, a heart to heart thing. People could be a little transparent. Well, that's where they are. So look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street about me? Jesus wants to know. And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I mean, that's pretty high praise. I mean, John the Baptist had been uh, beheaded about a year earlier. And there's people that are saying, well, that was just a hoax. Really didn't happen. They didn't want to kill him. So he's just still wandering around. It's that guy that everybody's calling Jesus. Or maybe it's Elijah you know, kind of reincarnated Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. of. So they got all these answers. But then look at verse 15. But Jesus then said to them, and I get the impression it's the 12 that's there. There might be in a few more, but it's not a big group. Definitely not as big as this group. Who do you say that I am? Who do you you guys, what do you really think? And there's verse 16. And this is so important. Like I said, this is probably one of the most key verses in all the Gospels. And Matthew wrote it in such a way to, to highlight just how absolutely important it was. Because it says, Simon Peter. It's the only time in all the Gospels where he's called Simon Peter, at least by Matthew. It's like saying, and Richard John Hornock said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's it. Who are you? You're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You know what he's saying? Jesus, you're it. You're it. You're the Messiah. The word Messiah is this Hebrew word that meant anointed one. And since the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, God had promised that there was going to be someone who would come. And that someone was going to be the final, ultimate king, conqueror. He's the ultimate solution. And Peter adds to it, he says, you're the Messiah, 
You're the son of the living God. And when you were called the son of someone, that basically was saying you are on equal with that person. You're not that person, but you're this person that is his equal, and he's basically saying you're God. I mean, at this time, their understanding of the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, first person, second person, third person, they didn't have all the data like we do. New Testament hadn't been written. It's just kind of alluded to in the Old Testament, but never really come out clearly. All of that's mostly New Testament material. But Peter's saying, I don't know how it works, but you're God. You are are the final king you're God. You're it. And if you sit and think about it, if he was right, and he was, and Jesus says he's right, we are to keep reading the passage, he is saying, Jesus, you are the absolute center of everything. And it's interesting, the rest of the New Testament is, is just basically an explanation of who Jesus is and what he did, what he accomplished, what he's going to accomplish. But basically, Peter is saying, there is nothing, nothing, no one more important than you. You are it. You're the final solution. You're the one that all of history revolves around. All of history up until now has looked forward to you. By implication, all of history from now on will look back to you. He's basically saying the first and foremost thing in anyone's life And therefore, any church ought to be Jesus-exalting, Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused. But, you know, let's think about it. That's not always true. It's not always true in my life. And I'll bet if you were honest, you'd say it's not always true in your life. And so here's the question that we could ask and answer, hopefully. Why is it so hard to keep the main thing the main thing? The main person, the absolute focus of our life. Because, like I said, there have been seasons where if you came to fellowship for those three months or those six months, you'd have said, you know, they, they preached Jesus, they talked about Jesus, but as I rubbed shoulders with the people and as I kind of heard what they were announcing and the initiatives they were trying to do, Jesus was in there somewhere, but I'm not sure he would have been in the top six, maybe not even in the top ten. I mean, they were, I mean, that was right then when, you know, they had lost a whole bunch of people and so they were just trying to recruit like crazy and it seemed like the main thing at their church was get involved and serve so we've got somebody to rock the babies or get involved and serve so that those weeds that are outside the lobby won't be there anymore 
or, or, you know, can you give a little bit money because, you know, we've got some families that are depending on that giving for their livelihood and we've got a mortgage payment and utility bills and the carpet needs to be swapped out and, you know, we've got kids that, you know, are driving around in 20-year-old vans so it'd be nice if y'all gave money. So it seemed like the top thing they really cared about was, you know, being a better-run business that had it. And, and I'm pretty sure Jesus was important in there, but at, at that time, it was the building program. It was the kids' program. It was the music. I mean, their music, I mean, they had great people that just couldn't get it together. None of them had any rhythm, and, and so they got to get it going. And, and how do you find someone that can stay on the beat? And, and, oh, it was just a train wreck. And so the whole conversations we had the three months we were there were all about the music. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm just picking on us because that's, I don't want to pick on First Baptist. But I could talk about First Baptist. I could talk about Northside. Let me talk about Williams. You want to know some of their idiosyncrasies? I know, I know everybody's idiosyncrasies. There, there is every church in the world would say Jesus is the number one most important thing until it's time for the election. Tell the time, tell us time to, to, you know, change the carpet or build a student ministry building. And then that becomes the focus. Or it could be, you know, man, they go right from doing that 6K for water, then they go to the summer program, then they have Operation Christmas Child, then they got Fall Fest, then they got Christmas. I mean, it's just like the only thing I heard about was the next event that was being done. And I think Jesus was in there somewhere, but boy, it didn't seem like it. And in the lobby, nobody talked about him, talked about the Cowboys, talked about Trump, talked about Biden, talked about the guy whose last name I can't pronounce that's number two in the Republicans now. I mean, we talked about all this. This was stolen. No, that wasn't stolen. Are we going to do masks? Are we not going to do masks? I mean, you know, I'm sick of this government pressing down on us. I'm sick of these people that are afraid of the government and, and you know, all this stuff. That's what we talked about. But I think, I, you know, I think, they, I think they genuinely love Jesus, but it was really hard to see it. Isn't that terrible? Why is it so hard to keep the main thing the main thing? I'll give you the simple answer. It's called spiritual warfare. We have an enemy. And actually, it's not us that have the enemy. It's Jesus that has the enemy. And Satan's mission is to take the focus off of Jesus. I mean, if Jesus is it, and he is, I can just tell you that Satan's number one goal is to make sure that nobody remembers or has the time or the discipline to make Jesus it. Uh, You know, interestingly, just from a Bible study standpoint, you know, Peter said that, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And... The rest of the New Testament, when it was written, 
was written to explain that and to tell who he is and what he did and what he's going to do. And do you know the only thing, this not, I'm not going to use the word church, I'm just going to use the, the term, the label Christendom or Christianity. You know, the only thing that this movement called Christianity, the only thing it has ever agreed on is that Jesus is it. But when you start explaining just exactly what it means, there's all kinds of disagreements. You know, people will read this passage and say, well, that's not what it means. That means this and this and this. And I think that's all part of Satan's strategy too. So you got all these, these Bible people, of which we are, reading stuff and going like this, back and forth. Because we've forgotten that in truth, and I think this is more true today than I've ever, than, than, than ever before. I mean, if you will just read the Bible like a fifth grader is supposed to read it, or a fourth grader that reads well is supposed to read it, you'll know what the Bible says. You may not agree with it. You may not fully want to buy it because it has a lot of implications, but the teaching of Scripture actually is quite clear. It's when we get smarter that then we start questioning, you know, all this stuff in there. But if you just read it like my granddaughters can read, and some of your kids can read, and your grandkids can read, if you just read it like a child, 90, 95% of it would just be plain, so plain. But that's not the way Satan's made it. Satan has taken passages of Scripture and brilliant people find two different meanings in there that are just pulls apart. That's all part of it. See, I'm answering the question, why is it so hard? So you've got the the tyranny of the urgent. You've got uh, uh, Satan taking people that just are you know, too smart for their own good and analyzing it and ripping it apart. And, you know, they basically just need a child to come into their midst like Jesus did and say, no, here's, let me just tell you what the Bible means. And I could go on and on and on, but you get the point. It is so hard to keep the main person, Jesus, the absolute focus of the church. And I think as we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about what do we want people to, to know about us. What do we, what feel, what vibe do we want to give off? We don't want to just say we're all about Jesus. We want them to catch and really feel it. So how do you do that? Let me take the last couple minutes that I've got just to talk about that. How do you do that? You know what? I think there's an there's an individual contribution, and there's a corporate contribution. Let's talk about this individual one first. Truth of the matter is, we cannot be a Jesus-centered, a Jesus-focused, a Jesus-exalting church if we as individuals are not Jesus-centered, 
Jesus-focused, Jesus-exalting people, individuals. If Jesus Christ is not the absolute center of your life, and he's not the absolute center of a lot of our lives, Fellowship Bible Church isn't going to be it. Those seasons when maybe we as a church have been more focused on other things as a corporation, it's probably because we as individuals have been more focused on other things. Maybe not the same thing. Maybe some of us were into the Cowboys and some of us were into the election or some of us were into the budget or some of us were into the fact that, you know, there's ministries that are going unfulfilled, whatever. But we all had lost sight that we're all about Jesus. You know, it's interesting, as I was thinking about this earlier in the week, uh, and it's true of me, and I think it's true of a lot of us, you don't have to talk to me for very long without me mentioning Vicky. You don't have to talk to me for very long without me mentioning one of my kids, or maybe all of my kids if you got time. I talk about them because they, they, they honestly are the most important things in my life. And I talk about them. But you know, I will go days without ever talking about Jesus. And I'm a preacher. That's terrible. I mean, I will tell someone all about my busyness, and I'll even tell them what I'm doing for the church or what I'm, sermon I'm working on and all that stuff, and I may go days without saying Jesus' name. And now, is that because I'm not a Jesus-focused, Jesus-centered person? No, I, I, I really think I'm trying to do well in that, and I think I'm having some success at it. But unfortunately, I rarely talk about it. I mean, it seems so weird. Jesus told me to do this. Why do you not do that? Well, I really don't think Jesus wants me to do that. Oh, you know, I always have some other excuse. Vicky doesn't want me to do that. The kids say, that's not good. I can't do that in my position. You know what I am. You know, but we, we rarely do we talk about Jesus. Maybe you do. And, and if you do, keep going and talk about him more. But I think there's some of us, we never even refer to him. We'll refer to our spouse, we'll refer to our kids, we'll refer to our parents, we'll refer to some coach, we'll refer to some teacher that had a, an impact in our life, we'll refer to some, you know, co-worker that we admire or some co-worker we're kind of really struggling with. We talk about people all the time, the people that are important in our life, well, who's more important in our life than Jesus? And I honestly think the vast majority of us, we, Jesus Christ is right there. But I'm not sure we're communicating that. I mean, it's, it's like the old song that I sang when I was a little kid. I mean, we hide it under a bushel. But we forget to say, no, I'm going to let it shine. Do we talk about Jesus Christ? Is he, is he the center of our lives? I I'd say most all of us here would say, yeah. But do we ever talk about him? Do we ever reference him? Do we say, 
I'm not doing that because I really don't think Jesus Christ would want me to do that. Or I am doing that because I do think Jesus would want us. The individual contribution. We have to be Jesus-centered people, Jesus-exalting people, if we want to be a church that is Jesus-exalting. It's not just a program. It's not just an initiative. I mean, is Jesus Christ really the center of your life? And I would say that most of us here probably would say, absolutely. Then we need to do as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We need to let our light shine. What does that look like for you? That's a question that's worth asking. Do your coworkers, the people you're going to be with tomorrow, maybe other teachers, maybe the students you're hanging with, maybe the other people at the paper mill, do they know that Jesus Christ is the most important person in your life? And if they don't, what can you start doing? We're not talking being weird here. Nobody thinks I'm weird that I talk about my wife. When they find out I have seven kids, they know I'm weird. But, you know, nobody, nobody thinks I'm weird when I'm just talking about one of my kids. They're like, oh, he's a family guy. He loves his kids. He spent his life raising them, you know. That's cool for him. You know? But you start talking about Jesus, yeah, they're gonna, it's going to feel awkward. And I think, set, I think that's part of the spiritual warfare we're dealing with. I think Satan wants you to feel like an idiot for talking about Jesus. What could you do to make Jesus, to make your peers, your coworkers, the rest of your family know how important Jesus Christ is? Now, if Jesus Christ isn't the most important person, that's where you got to start. But if he is, then let's start taking that shade off and let our light shine. That's the individual contribution, and we could talk more about it. But uh, let me move on to the corporate contribution. And I, I basically, you know, just going to kind of share what I think for us as leaders need to do, and then what the rest of y'all need to do as people that are just part of it. You know, I think one of the things that, that, that I need to do, Andy needs to do, anyone that is in a position of, of planning I need to discipline myself to regularly remember we're doing this to exalt Jesus. I talked about Operation Christmas Child. Now, next week, we're going to start kicking it off. I mean, I need to make sure, Andy needs to make sure, all the other people that do it need to make sure the reason we're doing Operation Christmas Child it's because through it, it is a means to exalt Jesus Christ. Quite frankly, it's wonderful that a kid gets a shoebox full of some toys. But if that's all it's about, I, I don't think it's worth it. Kind as it is. It is all about Jesus Christ. It is exalting Jesus Christ. Fall Fest. 
the race. Wednesday night Bible studies. Am I doing that just because I don't think you have enough stuff to do? No. we, We have to regularly as leaders make sure we're doing this. Andy and I have talked about this a lot, just even in, about student ministry. We do games because. We do parties because. And it's all about exalting Jesus Christ. But it's so easy to get hung up on the whatever it is, the packaging. You know what you need to recognize? Maybe for, you know, as the others... When there's something to do, it's because through it, you've got a chance to exalt Jesus Christ. When we offer a study, when we offer 930 stuff, when we offer a prayer meeting, when we offer Fall Fest, a race, Operation Christmas Child, or some other activity, we're offering them as opportunities for you to join this corporation of exalting Jesus Christ. It's not just, oh, wow, that's cool. They do a 6K. And, you know, man, you know, if you get the right people involved, you can get a couple, 100, 150 runners here and maybe get an article in the newspaper. And it's so cool. You donate. And the thing that's wonderful about it is it's done by 10 in your home and you still have your Saturday. That's my kind of church work. But is that why we're doing it? No, we're doing it to exalt Jesus Christ. And so you need to participate and buy in and own this, not so it'll be the coolest race in town or the coolest fall fest in town or we'll have the most boxes to give to Operation Christmas Child people in town. It's because through it, this is an avenue through which I, as an individual, and we as a corporation, can exalt Jesus Christ. You know, the answer to this sermon was a Sunday school answer. You know, you know that if you've ever taught kids, you know, and it's a Sunday school, you know, who built the ark? Jesus! You know, who parted the Red Sea? Jesus! No, it's Moses. You know, everything's Jesus. Everything's Jesus. What's the number one vibe we ought to give off? Jesus. We know that, but are we really doing that? Today we're going to do something to end our service that will help with that first one. It is, I want to, we're going to take the Lord's table and each of us have an opportunity to go back and recognize that were it not for Jesus Christ, we'd be destined to hell. We'd be destined to eternity apart from him. And so if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, here in these next few moments, we're going to partake of the bread, we're going to partake of the cup, and uh, uh, when Jesus instituted this the night before he was crucified he did it so that we could remember his purchase of our salvation
when he took our place on the cross of Calvary. So I'm going to invite the guys to come forward, and they're going to distribute the elements. And uh, I want you just to bow your heads and pray with me and uh, just prepare your heart to receive this uh, sacrament. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that uh, the answer really is obvious, even though it's a very hard uh, answer to keep as the focus. Father, I do thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And in these next few moments, as we uh, partake of his table, this bread, this cup, remembering how he took our place, how he imparts forgiveness of sin. I pray, Father, that uh, our hearts and minds would be uh, warmed to just how incredible it is that Jesus Christ is it and that we have the opportunity to share that, that truth, that feeling, with those around us. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen.